Happy Throwaway Thursday here on the EP Podcast. Hi, I'm Austin. Austin Horton. Welcome on in. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for clicking on and uh, taking part in this podcast each and every day. I really do truly appreciate it. And uh, we had a record high downloads uh, earlier this week. So thanks for sharing, clicking, sending it along, uh, subscribing. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. It is a, the every Thursday it tends to be the shorter uh, edition of the weekly uh, slot of shows. And it's called Throwaway Thursday because they're throwaway topics, but not throwaway segments. Just kind of side things that are going on out there in the world of sports. And we uh, also, as always, have some Joe Ingles comments from the Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK. So let's dive right in. And that's where we're going to start today is the Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK. Congratulations are, in fact, in order, as you probably saw on social media. Joe and Renee Ingles announced that uh, Renee is expecting their third child. And so that is really exciting, really terrific news. It does bring a lot of uh, extra light or, or uh, reasoning behind some of the comments that Joe has been making about his uh, hesitancy to want the season to resume uh, and why he's been so locked down in his house with his family, not only because of his son Jacob and his compromised immune system, but... Uh, and his daughter Mila, but now to find out that his wife has been pregnant, that obviously makes a, a lot of sense as to why they were being so extra cautious and careful. Uh, a couple sound bites here, though. We'll start with DJ and PK having a little fun with Joe and doing some, well, we'll call it pregnancy math. It was pretty funny. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, exciting, tiring times ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, if your wife is pregnant, you're obviously not practicing social distancing. Well, if, it's funny because we obviously um, put it out there yesterday and it was obviously you never publicly announce something until it's the right time. Obviously with pregnancy is, is a big thing. So um, if anyone out there and lots of people try to do the math, and no one got it wrong. Everyone um, had a little guess, and everyone trying to be funny thought they'd said, "Oh, quarantine baby, blah blah blah." If you do your maths, then you know when you are actually allowed to announce. Um, oh, not allowed. When it's safe to announce a pregnancy, go do your maths and come back and and have another shot at guessing because everyone was wrong. So it was definitely pre-quarantine. That's my. Okay. Doing the math, uh, actually, you'd come up with roughly Valentine's Day because typically you wait through the first trimester, oh. three months. So, Valentine's Day, Joe. Uh, no, wrong again. Yeah. People also, that was the other guess. The other guess was the other, the other I'm not that romantic. <laughs> that was the other guess was um, it was obviously pre-quarantine because of the timing um, and everyone was saying all-star break which I don't even know when that is start February um, which was also wrong so you guys can keep guessing but all you need to know is <laughs> the baby's healthy and obviously we were comfortable announcing so whatever week you think that is good luck to you guys but it was not all-star and it was not quarantine we'll stop it right there We'll, we'll put the brakes on there. You get any deeper in, we're talking about uh, some very personal 
uh, inappropriate things to be discussed on the radio. So, but Joe Ingles always with the good sense of humor and DJ and PK as well. That was kind of funny to, to hear them go back and forth on that. Uh, and then here is PK asking Joe straight up if he's one of the players who has indeed found himself over at the practice facility since it reopened uh, reportedly on Monday this week. Are you taking advantage of this opportunity to get into the practice site? Uh, I haven't been in, no. <laughs> what, I, I don't think you made that decision lightly. What went into it? Yeah, a lot. Um, obviously, the secret of, of Renee being pregnant is is a big part of it. And um, it's funny because I've done interviews and people have asked me about going into the facility because they opened, whatever, a couple of days ago. And um, obviously, I haven't been able to, to say about Renee. Um, Quinn... And the Jazz knew, a couple of the people there knew because of, obviously they were asking us and whether we wanted to go in or not. And um, Like I said, from day one of this happening, um, that OKC game, for, for me, the, the first priority is, is my family and um, Jacob's immune system and, and what, what could happen potentially to him. And, and now obviously with Renee being um, very early on in a, a pregnancy, the, to, to risk that and to risk Jacob and obviously Miller as well um, it, to me it's not worth it um, I've got a gym I've got everything I can do obviously basketball wise is, is a bit more difficult but um, I think as we go along and find out more information and, and keep learning about this whole thing I think it'll it'll make a decision easier but there's, there's no way I'm willing to risk my, my children and Renee and, and all that to, to go and shoot a basketball so um, they've 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 made measures, obviously, to go in there and all that. Pretty dramatic in terms of the, the it's it's a full on process. I went through the process to see um, what it was like, and it's 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 pretty in depth. So I think um, come the right time, I'll, I'll obviously go in there and, and start getting get ready. But um, yeah, I think we. We need a bit more information on whether we're going to play or not, and then um, I think my decision will be be made after that because it's it's hard. I'm not, I'm, like I said, from day one of OKC, my priority was the kids and, and Renee, and I'm, I'm not willing to risk that to, to go and shoot a basketball. So, um, yeah, my family comes way before that. Joe Ingles saying he has not participated and doesn't plan on it until he finds out when the season will be resuming. Uh, and you know what? I'm not going to begrudge him that decision. I'm not going to judge him good or bad on that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. This is an extremely personal family matter uh, for every person, not just Joe Ingles, but for every player, coach, uh, uh, general manager, radio guy, whoever. It's a very personal family decision as to whether or not you're going to uh, do certain things that you would have done pre-coronavirus. I will say, though, that this does bring up an interesting topic that we are going to have to uh, discuss some down, sometime down the road when a player, whether it be Joe Ingles or not, is not uh, relevant. But there will be a player, at least one, and, and that's uh, clearly, that's obvious. That's a definite lock. There's going to be several, though, in all professional sports who are so uncomfortable with playing, they will refuse to play and that is that will be uh, an extremely fascinating debate 
between what is owed by them as an employee to their employer and what is owed from an employer to uh, the employee as rights and privileges and, and how they would need to honor and respect someone's decisions. But does that mean they have to keep them on as an employee? It opens an extremely interesting can of debate and i do think we're going to have that debate sometime in the near future as these sports return to play and players are, are either refusing to show up or or uh, the, the the teams are are refusing to allow them to show up there's going to be a lot of moving parts on that but there you go the joe ingles show uh, on dj and pk every thursday check it out and uh, congrats again to the ingles family on their impending arrival Speaking of players who say they are not interested in playing during the coronavirus situation, obviously Joe Ingles, if he were to make that decision, his would be a health choice for his, to protect he and his family. Blake Snell, former Cy Young winner in the American League and with the Tampa Bay Rays, just signed a five-year, $7 million contract or excuse me, five-year, $50 million contract with the Tampa Bay Rays that will take him through the year 2023. He, he was set to make, uh, he made $1 million last year. He was going to make $7 million this year, $10.5, and $16 million the following three years. He stated on his Twitch uh, broadcast uh, channel last night, he's not interested in the proposed owner's 50-50 revenue split that the uh, Major League Baseball is offering to their players. We talked about this on the podcast yesterday and on Tuesday, how Major League Baseball has proposed uh, as part of their return-to-play plans that the players who are already being paid a prorated salary per game played whenever the season resumes, they're saying that they also will only make a 50-50 revenue split well, Blake Snell had some very candid and honest, we'll call them, comments on his Twitch channel about that. No, I'm not splitting no revenue. I want all mine. Bro, y'all got to understand, too, because y'all going to be like, bro, Blake, play for the love of the game, man. What's wrong with you, bro? Money should not be a thing. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It 100% should be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting the money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. So I'm really getting like 25%. On top of that, it's getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm actually making to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't making shit. And on top of that, so all that money's gone. And now I play risking my life. And, and, what, and if I get the Rona, on top of that, if I get the Rona, guess what happens with that? Oh yeah, that stay, that's in my body forever. That damage is not gonna be like, the damage that was done to my body, that's gonna be there forever. So now I gotta play with that on top of that. So y'all gotta, I mean, y'all gotta understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pay, like bro, there's, no, I gotta get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. like. I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I'm making is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Like, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry. So in my head, I'm preparing for next season. And I'm preparing, well, I'm actually preparing for right now. But 
as if I'm preparing for next season. Like, it's it's super weird, man. But, guys, I'm just saying, man, it just doesn't make sense for me to lose all of that money and then go play and then be on lockdown, not around my family, not around the people I love, and get paid way to hell less, and then the risk of injury runs every time I step on the field. So it's it's just it's not worth it. It's not. I love baseball to death. It's just not worth it. There you go, Blake Snell, pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, talking about how he is only going to play if he gets 100% of his money. The Look, if you read his statement, it sounds a little less, uh, I don't know, snotty or bratty or spoiled uh, than as opposed to how you hear his comments. That's why I wanted to play the audio for you and not just read his comments because I am disgusted by this. Yes, I absolutely 100% understand why Blake Snell and anyone else has a uh, black and white in ink problem with not making their money. They signed a contract and that contract said you will play this many years for this many dollars. It did not include anything about unless we change that because of a pandemic. But the CBA does include things like that and that's why we're in this situation and yes i know he was set to make seven million dollars this season according to if we just take his math that he just used there which i don't think is 100 percent accurate but since it's his quote we got to go with his math if we take his math and, and and apply it to his seven million he was supposed to be making this season he's gonna make less than two million dollars but dude, you're still making $2 million pre-taxes. There are 36, almost 37 million people in this country right now without a job, without a paycheck, who, who, uh, who are uh, responsible for your $7 million that you are going to make this season because we watch and we buy and we're interested in Major League Baseball and its products and its merchandise. You really really came across really bad here, Blake Snell. And you owe an apology to every one of those 37 million people without a job right now. In fact, the only way I can see him coming back from this from a PR standpoint is donating the entirety of his salary this season to, uh, you know, the, the jobless in the United States of America somehow. Or right, especially right there in Tampa Bay. Uh, you donate that, I might forgive this until then holy cow those comments are atrocious for anyone to be making at this time in the in the in the the era that we're in and what we're dealing with around the country 37 million dollars or 37 million people without a job and blake snell is excuse my language pissing and moaning on twitch from his gazillion dollar mansion about how he ain't playing until he gets his fine then don't play snell we don't need you. Okay, did you see the college football discussion in Sports Illustrated? Uh, Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty spoke with 11 conference commissioners around the country and asked them what they felt were the nine most important or most impactful questions surrounding how they're handling COVID and, and when the season will begin or wh- will it begin and how and where and wh- why and if and on and on and on and on. Uh, So I just wanted to share a few of those thoughts that they got from these commissioners. And I'm going to really focus on Larry Scott 
of the Pac-12 and Craig Thompson of the Mountain West, since those guys are uh, most impactful for our local uh, fan bases here uh, in Utah. And so here's a, but I would highly encourage you to head to si.com and check this out. Uh, the piece is called "From Newfound Optimism to Potential Disaster: Inside the Conversation Around College Football's Return" by Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty. Uh, I have efforted uh, Ross Dillinger, see if I can't get him on the big show coming up later this week, if not next. But here are some of those nine questions that they asked. Before we dive into the questions, though, here's a quote from Craig Thompson, commissioner of the Mountain West. He said, in describing this overall situation, quote, I feel like I'm at Grand Central Station and there are 10 trains leaving in different directions and we don't know which one to get on. As all of these con- close quote, as all of these conference commissioners try to get on board with one another and figure this out, they have a weekly, at least weekly, uh, conference call with one another as they try to make some decisions. All right, first question that I'm going to share with you here is: When must decisions be made to begin on-campus athletic training and on whether to delay the season start? Larry Scott's response, the six-week training camp would follow the concept of walk, jog, and then run. It would start at conditioning and getting them to a baseline level of conditioning and then working in small groups, which is following all the medical advice we're getting. Keep small groups and distancing. Then at the latter stages of the training camp, it's the full team and the contact. There will be a universal date on when the six weeks starts. Close quote. Now keep that last sentence in mind about especially the words universal date. Uh, Craig Thompson said, it's not going to be equitable. There are no equal solutions. I still laugh. There are pockets of coaches saying, wait a minute, I didn't get 12 spring football practices. Give me a break, says Craig Thompson. Quite, uh, keep those uh, responses in mind because obviously it's foreshadowing. Larry Scott feels that everyone needs to start at the same time. Craig Thompson is saying, uh, it's not equal. Deal with it. Question uh, three that they asked, can you have on-campus athletic activities without students attending classes in person? Larry Scott, a lot of universities have declared their intention to open up and have students on campus, which for me and a lot of my colleagues across the country has been a gating issue. We feel that if our campuses are uncomfortable having students back on campus, we could not envision having student athletes back on campus competing. Conversely, Craig Thompson says, quote, maybe that works. But if it doesn't work for that tier of students in July and August, how can it work for a full enrollment in August and September? I understand these presidents saying we expect to be on campus in person. You have to say that. These guys are losing tens of millions of dollars. Question four. What if some schools can open and others because of state governing orders cannot? Remember what Larry Scott and Craig Thompson said a moment ago. But Scott answered, I'm hopeful and optimistic that if our universities and conferences, with the benefit of medical expertise, determine it's safe for training camp to open in July and season open in August, we're going to be able to do that nationally in a coordinated way. A follow-up was a question was then, well, you're in a school of thought that all 130 FBS schools need to start on time for everyone to play? Larry Scott reiterated, yes, I'm cautiously optimistic that's what's going to happen. Conversely, Craig Thompson's response was, quote, the sense I get, we would trend toward this, uh, meaning that some schools uh, would play and others wouldn't. If states and universities are open and ready to play, we'll play with whoever is available. But that's not a final answer. 
I can't imagine a scenario from a Mountain West perspective where 12 different institutions in eight different states come to the same conclusions on when to reopen. We are all over the map. Close quote. Uh, this is a, yet another great example of how delusional Larry Scott is. He, he, he is so out of touch and so in his own little world that he does not even realize the uh, practicality of the idea, the impracticality, I mean, of the idea that all of 130 FBS schools would decide when to start at the same time. That is ridiculous. Craig Thompson, at least in this round and in many other rounds, has the brains over Larry Scott uh, to realize that some schools may not get to play while others will have to full, uh, forge forward. Question five, once football returns, once football teams return to campus, what does preseason football training look like in terms of testing, practice schedules, etc.? cetera? Uh, Craig Thompson to that said, a prominent medical expert told commissioners on a conference call that it could cost $1,000 per athlete to do all required testing. Quote, we're going through the most challenging time in intercollegiate history financially, and you're looking at $400,000 to test your student athletes, close quote. That will cut out 85 to 90% of the country from being able to afford that, I guarantee it. That's, uh, that, that's amazing that that's the amount of money it will take. Question seven, will fans be allowed to attend? Larry Scott, I fully expect that there will be regional differences state by state in terms of policies affecting fans. It's our hope and plan that the football season starts on time. We have a full football season, but I would expect there are differences state by state in terms of when fans are allowed to attend games. SI then followed up with the Oregon governor recently said that all events through September with large gatherings, including sports events, should be modified or canceled. The Pac-12 has two schools in that state, of course, Oregon and Oregon State, scheduled to host September marquee home games against Ohio State and Oklahoma State, respectively. To that, Larry Scott said September is a very long way away from where we are now, and we're going to learn a lot more between now and then. I'd hope and expect the officials in Oregon will stay open-minded and let the data and the science and the medical experts guide us, close quote. That's fine. I can agree with him on that. September is a long way away. Uh, we'll find out a lot more between now and then, like you said. But you also have to think about it now. You have to be ahead of these things. You can't wait till December to make a decision, or September to make a decision. Question eight, if you have a truncated season, do you play just conference games? Uh, Craig Thompson said, one president asked me, what happens if we're good to go and we don't have anyone to play? We're an airplane league. We could look at the possibility of Colorado State and Wyoming, 67 miles apart. Maybe they play home and home. They're our two closest campuses. Maybe they play twice in one season for the first time ever. And then question nine, if a season can't be played in the fall, can it be played in the spring? Craig Thompson said, well, when is spring? We live in the Rocky Mountains. We don't play a lot of things outdoors in January, February, and March. In the spring, it could be 50 degrees one day, and the next day it snows a foot. Close quote. Which he's absolutely right about that. But if that's when you can play the football season, then that's when you play the football season. Along those lines, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick said, quote, I think I'm the only one in America who thinks a spring schedule is a good idea. The worst thing that could happen to us is starting and stopping from an interrupted season during a second wave. If we get three games in and stop the college football season, that's a disaster. So go ahead, read the whole article if, you, if you'd like, if you're interested at Sports Illustrated, uh, SI.com from Ross Dellinger. 
and uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Pat Forty. And hopefully we'll hear from one or both of them on The Zone either today or later this week. Kind of a cool thing I saw uh, on Twitter. Rulon Gardner, who you'll recall won the Greco-Roman gold medal in the 2000 Sydney Summer Olympics. Uh, Kid from Wyoming. He's currently, I believe, the wrestling coach at Harriman High School. There's a new documentary coming out called Rulon Gardner Will Not Die that uh, does an expose with it's made by him uh, and some people that worked on The Last Dance that explores his rise and fall uh, to and from fame and how he grew up on a dairy farm in Wyoming, made his way uh, with uh, the wrestling and and, uh, sports and how that uh, was a benefit to him and how he used that to get to uh, the place that he was and won the gold medal in the Olympics, but then how that uh, meteoric rise also was a meteoric fall and how many times he's come across death and survived. It's a fascinating look uh, into the, the life of a man who apparently saw and tasted fame for a minute and then lost it all eventually, right down to the fact he, he had to declare bankruptcy and lost his medals. That's it's terrible, terrible, terrible. But good for him for making this video and documentary and hopefully uh, serving as a warning, uh, sound of warning for those who might find themselves in similar situations. And I can't wait to see it myself. It comes out in June called Rulon Gardner Will Not Die. And then finally, something that just makes me ill. College uh, coaches that are so hypocritical, it's gross. You've probably by now seen, read, or heard the comments made by Purdue basketball coach Matt Painter about transfers, students that leave. And specifically, he spoke to Matt Harms, the uh, seven-footer that is now transferred away from Purdue to play for BYU next college basketball season. I wanted to play you Matt Painter's comments from the Dan Dockett show on ESPN Radio Uh, And then I want to react to it. So here's what Matt Painter had to say about Matt Harms and any other students that uh, decide to transfer away from their schools. Matt, are you concerned that these two kids transferred this late in their career? Are you concerned about your program at all and what you're doing within it? No, not at all. You know, I think when you look at the center position where Matt Harms was, like we tried to play Travion Williams and him together and it didn't work. Um, To his defense, he got hurt. He had two concussions. Um... You know, and so him leaving and then, you know, I don't know how things changed for him. Like that, and that's what I kind of look at it like. I try to take a step back and look at it from their perspective. and like, okay, how did you better yourself? You know, are you going to go play against better competition in the league that you went to? No. Um, you know, when I look at the position and say, okay, it worked for Caleb Swanigan in that position. It worked for A.J. Hammonds in that position. It worked for Carl Landry in that position. It worked for Juwan Johnson. I mean, want me to keep going? It worked for Isaac Haas. You know, Travion Williams is going to be a good player. So, in reality, in the 50, and that's hard to be able to reel off that many names in 15 years of coaching in one position. And so, but in reality, Travion Williams beat him out. That's it. And Matt was starting at the beginning of the year. He had some injuries. I was really looking forward to him coming back and embracing, you know, hey, I had two concussions. I was hurt. Let's, you know, let, let's let's fight here. Let's, you know, because that's what you do. 
You know, you might have got your degree from Purdue, but you're not a Boilermaker if you walk out the door at the end and say, hey, like, I want to make the league. Well, you know, guys who want to make the league work like Carson Edwards and Caleb Swanigan. Like, I didn't see that from him. Did he work hard in practice? Sure. Did he work hard in games? Sure. Was he a good player for us? Yes. But if you take him and rank him against those guys I just mentioned, where would you rank him? You know, and so Travion Williams beat him out, and then he wants to move on. Then that's his choice. He got his degree from here. You know, it's 19 guys out of 420 that have transferred. So it's a low percentage, but what I what I look at more than anything is, you know, embrace problems and embrace adversity and fight it. And, you know, don't run from it. And when you run from it and your work ethic isn't at a high, high level like a Carson Edwards or a Caleb Swanigan, because they have shortcomings at that level. They're, they're great college players, but at that level, they have shortcomings. So that's the one thing that's not going to change. Everybody can have these dreams. We all have dreams. Um, but things have to be realistic. And like you said, like if you got a distraction already and you're making it hard, like you can go on the message boards and talk here for – four, five, six months, but when we start this season, you got to play, you know, you got to go out and be productive, and if you weren't before, you're inconsistent. Boy, I don't know how that changes. I've got this pain right here between my eyes and a little above my eyebrow line that just will not subside whenever I hear college coaches complaining about college students leaving or going places willy-nilly as though they have no loyalty and they're terrible people and they don't know how to work hard and just because things aren't going their way, they want to go find a better spot for themselves. First of all, that is how that is anyone's right in this country of ours to go find yourself a better situation. Now, if it's a right decision or a wrong decision, that's their prerogative. But if a player wants to decides that this place is no longer the best situation for me, I'd like to leave, I do not understand coaches getting in the way of that. And here's why I don't understand it from a collegiate athlete standpoint. These coaches are free to leave and go wherever the wind takes them. Wherever the bigger dollars are, that's where they go next. And Matt Painter, this just in, is not a lifetime coach at Purdue. He had to start elsewhere and work his way up, right up to Southern Illinois University, where he was an assistant coach under Bruce Weber, who left to take bigger dollars at a bigger school of Illinois, which then promoted Matt Painter to head coach of Southern Illinois, who then had so much success that his alma mater, Purdue, came a-calling and offered him more money to be their head coach, and he left. So stop with this loyalty garbage. If you are free and clear to leave and go wherever you want to, whenever you want to, then the player should be allowed to do that too. Close quote. That is me quoting me. It's, it's, just, it's just hypocrisy in the most uh, highest degree and sickest, grossest displays that you'll see, and it really drives me nuts. All right, that's it for a throwaway Thursday edition of the EP podcast. Hopefully you had a little fun. Hopefully you learned something. And uh, if you've got a, a, a different idea, go ahead and send it to me. I'm on Twitter, at Austin Horton. You can find me in the email, austin.horton at 1280thezone.com. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, iHeart, TuneIn, 
uh, Spotify, Apple, Google. You can find us on EP uh, podcast, the EP podcast Facebook page, or 1280thezone.com slash EP dash podcast, or on the Zone Sports Network app in the on demand audio section. However, and whenever and wherever you'd like to listen, here I be. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing it. And uh, I love you all. Thanks you. Thank you again. I'll talk to you on a Wear Red Friday edition of the EP podcast. Until tomorrow, though, be good to each other. Now for the laugh of the day. <laughs> I've always been a little bit of a late learner. Um, it comes with the territory. Uh, I'm originally from South Carolina. That deserves, yeah, thank you. That deserves a mild response. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. Um, when I was growing up, South Carolina was 49th in education. Yeah, we might have upgraded to 50th by now. <laughs> check the stats. <laughs> Mostly because I don't know how. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, like, for example, I found out very late in life, like very late, that Alaska and Hawaii were not next to each other. <laughs> Down here where they appeared to be at the bottom of the map. Yeah. Yeah, nobody clarified that the map ran out of space and someone just slapped them down there. I thought that's where they lived. I went my merry little way, just dumb as a clam. Till seven years ago, I was hired by Alaska Airlines. Yeah, I was told I was gonna be stationed in Anchorage, Alaska. And I was so excited because I'd always wanted to go to Hawaii. <laughs> Turns out, none of them. <laughs> Spoiler alert for any other Carolinians in the room. Uh, I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I got the job. And apparently our maps are no good because Alaska and Hawaii are not off the coast of California. <laughs> yeah, she was like, did I drop you? <laughs> Bless your heart. No, that's another thing y'all need to know about the South. If anybody from the South ever says to you, bless your heart, they are not being nice to you. <laughs> no. They feel sorry for you, but they being nice about it, okay? <laughs> yeah. When people from my hometown first heard that I moved out to California and I got involved in things like yoga, they were like, oh my word, she done gone to the dark side. That girl is probably stretching her legs all over the place. Bless her heart. One woman told me she put me on a prayer chain. Let me tell y'all something, I believe in prayer, but that is the last place you wanna be is on a Southern woman's prayer chain. So all that means is I will tell everybody your business. Amen.